0: This week we follow the journey of Julia Grinchner from Estonia to Western Australia, from the depths of a body image obsession to serving others to pull themselves out of their own pit of despair through her coaching company Reveal Coaching. Julia shares how unresolved issues from her childhood played out first in sedation through drink and video games and then in the healthy pursuit of gym training that soon went too far. She then tells how circumstances led to her realisation of the impact of her actions and how she overcame the baggage that was weighing her down. We discussed how physical training can be a real gateway to greater work if supported in a more considered manner and Julia passionately explains how she is focused on helping others who display similar symptoms through specific support and guidance. This is a very honest and brave share of a personal journey. It is made brave by the complete ownership of the journey by Julia, despite the sources and synchronicities that played their role. I believe currently the world needs to reflect on more journeys like this, so that a deeper understanding of the human experience can be normalised within our community. Enjoy Julia. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host Bryn Edwards. Body image, personal training, and digging into the roots of these causes are some of the areas we're going to go into today with my guest, Julia Grinchner. Julia, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, and thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) You're very welcome. So one of the questions I always ask my guests at the start is um, how they ended up in Western Australia, whether they were born here or whether they came here. Now, you've obviously come from Estonia. Um, which we'll pick up on your accent in a minute when I let you talk. Um, But before we get there, you had an interesting time in Estonia, didn't you? Being Russian, but living in Estonia.
1: That's right, yes. So
0: can you tell me a bit about that and the nuances of that?
1: Yeah, um, so my family migrated to Estonia when both of my parents were quite young. And me and my brother were both born in Estonia. And growing up there, so I was born a year just after we got independence from um, U.S.S.R. at the time. So it was quite a fresh time for everyone and the culture is celebrating and, um, you know, trying to build the culture up again. So I was quite lucky because I did go to Estonian school and I was immersed right into that culture. Uh, slightly different story to my brother who went to Russian school. So that even in, inside our family, the dynamics were slightly different because of that, because half of my family was really fluent in Estonian, and half of my family was just speaking pure Russian only most of the time.
0: Is, is there much overlap or?
1: Yeah, it's totally different. Um, Alphabet. So, Russian alphabet is Kyrillita, differently spoken, differently written, and there's, actually, there's not much um, overlap at all. Russian is more similar to English than it is to Estonian. Right. But we, we all spoke Russian as well. And growing up, I had friends who were Estonian and Russian both. And the school times, I think, were quite fascinating in that, in that term, being one of the very few Russians in Estonian school and trying to fit in I think that was that's pretty much who what created me who I am today as well mm. constantly in what way well um, it's about fitting in isn't it when we're growing up as children and especially at such a young age you know the first 14 years are so crucial and we're just learning and we are so open to all the suggestions around us and things even like teasing and picking up on, you know, the accents and you're different and those kind of things.
0: Was there much of that?
1: There was a little bit. Um, a lot of my friends experienced that some experienced more, some less, and it really depended on personality, how you fit it in. And I, I was one of those people who never really needed to be, to belong to a group. So I was just a standalone, which kind of, Bit me in the ass as well, if I can say that, because as a, as a child you do sometimes want to belong to a group because that creates a strong camaraderie and um, you know a really good friendship community. And my community was all over the place because I had a group of Russian friends and a group of Estonian friends and a lot of friends were older than me as well. And so did the
0: two groups not sort of mix, or
1: not really. No, there right. was no mixing at all, and that and in school that was a big problem because. I didn't really fit anywhere in school in that because I was a little bit of everything and fitting in with all these different groups rather mm. than to belonging to something solid. Yeah.
0: Mm. So how did you come to live in Western Australia?
1: So after high school, I left Estonia for, I thought I'll take just a gap year. And Australia was just a paradise place, you know, palm trees, surfing, it's um, something that I dreamt about since I was a young child. So I came here and then I really loved it. So I thought oh, I'll stay for another year. And my parents were quite happy with that as well because the economy in Estonia wasn't that great at the time. They're like, okay, you know, two years is enough. Then you've got to come back and go to university. What happens? I met a guy, as it passed. Oh, <laughs> Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, so we moved in together and we traveled around Australia a fair bit. Um, I've seen WA Coast, North Coast and North as well. Lived in a few different places around Australia. But never really in Perth. And he's originally from Perth. So he wanted to come back to home roots and, you know, see what's it like here. So I was like, why not? I've, I've never been here, so I followed. Um... So we're no longer together, but absolutely fell in love with this place. And one of the things was, you know, on the East Coast, it's sunrise and here is the sunset. And with that, the different feeling for the environment and energy comes along as well. And to me, that really suited. I really loved that. And just the ocean. And at the time, I wasn't very in tune with energetic being and energetic life. But now I'm really finding myself truly immersed into the culture of WA and, and just, it's it's quite a phenomenal place in terms of the nature and the energy here and it's it feels like a really ancient place.
0: An ancient place? Yeah. How do you mean?
1: I think I think there's a lot more um, in history that we are currently aware of and mm. I'm, I'm quite interested in learning about that and uncovering that in the near future as well. Mm.
0: Cause- Coming from a place like Estonia, like myself coming from England, yeah. you've got these very old, old, old cultures and here in Australia, it's still the same, but there's been this new, very young culture sort of slapped across the top mm. and you can be in that one or dig into the other
1: that's right that's exactly how it feels like you showed with your hands the layers of this ancient culture and then the new one was slapped on top and i think it's a brilliant presentation of what's actually happened and i think what's underneath is really rich and really strong in terms of helping people to heal and move on and and Mm. create that collective consciousness that at the moment is a little bit divided
0: Mm. So, do you see WA being home for a while?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yes. I have no other plans at the moment apart from Perth.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And do you go back to Estonia?
1: I have been going back a few times. Um, I haven't been back for a couple of years now. Yeah. Which I'm planning on in the next two years. How would you
0: find going home having lived here?
1: The last time was very fascinating because that was after the little... Uh, self-finding process I think before the big awakening I went through but I was I started this spiritual journey and and opening up more energies and I saw it very differently and I became a lot more connected to nature at the time so I really appreciated for what it was because in the past I had this resentment and a bit of anger against the country because the way I grew up but the last time I went back it was just I was really open for experience and because of that, the experience was a whole new, new one. Nothing like I've ever experienced before. Awesome.
0: Hmm. So <clears throat> in your, in the work that you do and the study that you do and the clients that you work with, there's obviously a, a sense of, um, uh, searching on your part and serving others and helping them to heal on another um where does that come from in the Julia journey well in yeah I mean was it role modeled by mum and dad or is it something you found yourself
1: interesting you ask about mum and dad because my mum is a nurse and she, she's a lot more than nurse she's a very interesting character but as I was growing up, she would always tell me that I would go eventually into medicine and I had this major resentment in terms of that would never happen and I would make everything possible not to go into medicine because of what I knew about medical world in terms of westernized pharmaceutical um, suppression of the disease. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that So I, and I didn't know anything else at the time. And I started studying nutrition in Perth first at Curtin University, which... It was fueling my passion at the time, but the way it was taught wasn't really suited to me. It was a bit too dogmatic for what I, who, for who I was then, and I went on to, I actually got lost before I found myself. Mm. So I got majorly lost and had a massive breakdown in tears and what I was gonna do and you know trying to uh, help myself, but also my parents to be proud of me. Right. Which is a very strong conflict, internal conflict.
0: Where does that parents being proud of you come from?
1: I think it's just being a younger daughter. And um, as I was growing up, up, mum would always tell me that she's proud of me. But she'd always wanted me to see me succeeding. And I wanted to do something different, you know, change, break the state in the family of um, financial struggle and... uh, being reflected from, you know, um, generational upbringing and the patterns were repeating and I could see that. And I didn't like that. I always wanted to own a business and do something very different.
0: Yeah. So there were patterns that were the same, were there?
1: Absolutely, yeah. What,
0: what what were in those patterns?
1: It's more the obedience to the parents, I think, mm. and just getting a job yeah. and getting through that and not really serving your own values or your own purpose and pretty much dimming the inner shine through having to conform to society values and the parental projected values as well.
0: Is it quite strong there in Estonia?
1: Very strong, yeah.
0: Is that your family or is that the culture there?
1: It's the culture and especially the Russian culture as well is extremely strong in that. It's like the parents pretty much guide you where you go and what you do. Yeah. Um, which is slowly changing now, but I, I really felt that as a young child.
0: Mm, that must have been quite constraining.
1: A fair bit, absolutely. That's <laughs> why I ran away to Australia. <laughs> yeah.
0: To the other side of the world.
1: That's right. <laughs> so,
0: as I said, you, you're, you're a coach, yoga instructor, you've been a personal trainer, um, you are studying naturopathy. Um, people don't choose that unless there's a story behind it so what's the story
1: so after I broke down and got lost with the nutrition because so
0: just back up before then what before why that, nutrition
1: nutrition before okay let's start with personal training so I became quite depressed actually one of the things I'm very close to my parents especially my mom and we've been best friends since I was a young girl hmm. And I'm Despite also, the
0: fact she tells you what to do. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes. It, there's a lot of love, yeah, but also, yeah. yeah. And moving away from very close family, <clears throat> I, I carried a lot of guilt. And it was very hard for me to admit that for a long time. And I knew that I broke my mum's heart, a little bit of problem with my dad's heart, and I didn't know what to do about it while I was still trying to find myself. And Mm. that made me go into a bit of a repressive mode where alcohol came into the game. And I, you know, to the point, you know, I would drink a glass or two of wine every night, um, smoking a fair bit of weed at the time as well, and just playing video games and not really being in the real world.
0: Were you, did you have a job? Did you, were you studying as well? So were you one of these sort of like, Functioning, sedated people.
1: Exactly, yeah. I I did have a job the whole time, and I'm a very hard worker. Mm. And part of the the problem that I had was because of how hard I worked, and also having all of these unresolved emotions of guilt, and um, I developed a lot of anger against my bosses at the time because I wasn't recognized for my hard work. Mm. And I was just working in retail. It wasn't anything... Spectacular, but I knew that I did a good job at what I did because I was managing different areas of the shop and I um, that the edit didn't actually translate into my work time because most people didn't know they had no clue yeah. what I was doing outside of work. and most uh, people don't no, they
0: are' not interested.
1: That's right. <laughs> that's right. And, and a lot of anger came from that. And I was just extremely angry, hurt, sad, and just having that guilt for leaving the family behind. Yeah. And I found myself crying in the showers every single day. And I didn't realize it was... Is that deep... in the morning? No, I'm... usually after work. Oh, right. Yeah. I'd come home and just cry. And we had, I remember a Christmas celebration, my um, ex-partner's family came over and I didn't want to see them, you know.
0: That would have been hard yeah family and yours is not there
1: yeah well christmas is not big in estonia in russia sorry um, Mm. because i am from orthodox family and we celebrate christmas in 7th of february i'm pretty sure yeah uh so it was never a big thing for me but i think it's just the the unresolved repressed emotions and lots and lots of anger and just not knowing what to do with it Mm. there was no outlet for it there was no expression
0: so you sedated it
1: yeah exactly And one day I decided that I'll try gym instead. So, I started going to the gym. Um, When I moved to Perth, I became very serious about it as well. And...
0: Well, it's all part of the culture, isn't it?
1: It is. It's massive culture here. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. So, it it, it did help with dealing with anger, but it also created a lot more other issues. (laughs) So, it was a huge outlet for my anger because that kind of slowly started succeeding. Yeah. But I mean, uh,
0: physically, you've got somewhere to put this energy.
1: Exactly, yeah. Just pumping a bit of iron and running. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Mm. It
0: doesn't necessarily deal with the source, but mm. it just puts the symptoms somewhere.
1: Yeah, that's right. And Until it. Until
0: it, you wear, it, wear, wear the source out for a, a short period of time before the source starts producing again.
1: Absolutely. It's just another masking, similar to sedation with drugs and alcohol. It's the same mm-hmm. method. But just a slightly healthier way of doing it. Less damage.
0: (laughs) A healthy way of yeah. Mm. Yes, I like that.
1: (laughs) So it was great for some time and I started my body started to change. I was always quite lean, but then I get really lean and my abs started popping and I was really excited about that because of the culture and buying Mm. into that and how we're supposed to look and then social media slowly. Yeah, yeah. And that developed into an obsession with body image issues. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, what does that, how does that, you told me how it starts, and now I can sort of see, you know, we've gone from video games, weed, and drinking, to sedate something, to, right, I'll go and bang it all in the gym. But how, what do the stories start to look like that you're telling yourself that start that meant you were gripped in these body issues and what did they what did they look and feel like
1: the stories that i was the stories that i was telling myself yeah uh, they were just excuses and it was just running away running away from myself and the reality still Mm. and pretty much diving into anything possible as long as i didn't have to look inside right past the body Past the body. It was all about the physical. Hmm. None of this mental... So what was the goal?
0: Looking shredded and...
1: Yeah, totally. As shredded as I could. And I did want to compete at the time. Compete. As in bodybuilding competition yeah. on stage. And I kept telling myself that I wasn't ready. And when I look back on... When I have a look now, what people compete as and how I looked like. Oh yeah, I was ready the whole time. But if that's not what it was about for me. Mm-hmm. It was never about their performance mm. or what I could achieve in terms of that. It was more about how I felt mm-hmm. and that's why I never followed through. And luckily at the right time I realized that this is probably not healthy.
0: What was, when, what did that epiphany look and feel like?
1: Oh, I haven't actually given that much thought. I'm just glad that I'm over it, mm. but I do, I remember going back to Estonia not the last time, but one before that. And my mum looked at me and she's like, are you sick? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm in the best health. Ella. She's like, I don't think you are. You look sick. Mm. And I didn't understand what she meant. And I said to her that, Oh, mentally I'm a bit off, but I don't know what's going on. And this is not important right now. And then when I came back home to Perth,
0: it's interesting. You know, you go back to these yardsticks and people that know you. Yeah. And then you connect and they spot and see things because they've known you all your life. And when you come and live the other side of the world, much like myself, I get it from time to time when my parents come over and like, "Brendan, have you seen? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I missed that. Um, yeah, it, it can be quite confronting, can't it?
1: Very confronting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it took me a long time to deal with what she said, what my mum said, because I look up to her so much and Ooh. I really strongly value her opinion.
0: Did it really yeah. punch hard?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It hurt me big time. So when I got back, I started to look in a bit more and I was like, what is she on about? And my brother said the same thing. He's like, you look so skinny. What's wrong with you? And I, I'd give him a bicep and he's like, see, I have muscle. But he's like, you just, there's nothing there. Mm. And, and that really, first of all, it shattered me because you don't appreciate what I'm saying. You don't appreciate what I've done. And then later on, I only started to look inward and then maybe there's truth to what they're saying.
0: Mm. So when did the look inward
1: start? So coming back to Perth and I, one of the problems I had, I guess, training really hard and drinking red wine, very hard to put muscle on extremely hard (laughs) easy to lose weight so um i started to change my approach and think why am i not achieving the goals i wanted to and by coming of alcohol and stopping the smoking as well
0: so you were doing that as well going to the gym yeah right
1: yeah oh yeah for sure all oh, right yeah. <laughs> at, at first but then um i started to stop all of that and reducing the amount of alcohol made the major impact on me mm. because i started to think clearly mm. and um something unlocked there because all of the bottom issues all of a sudden fountain up to the top
0: what was it like um taking drink out of the equation to start with it's not always the easiest thing to do
1: no, it wasn't hard yeah. at all. Yeah. No, um, I didn't I didn't feel it was an addiction or anything like that. It mm. was more just a repression kind of thing, just to run away to something. And there was never an, a need for a drink um, and never really a social thing either because I didn't socialize at the time. It was just me and my, my ex-partner. And that was another sad thing is, you know, there was no social community or support. Mm. Yeah. So I think it was a good thing to slowly reducing the alcohol um, because how much it cleared up my mind and I started to go to these meditation groups. Right. I don't even know how I found it, but I remember that was the time I already started personal training and one of my clients came up to me and she's like, I heard her, actually I overheard her talking to a friend.
0: So you were a personal trainer? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, getting quite clean, training hard, not drinking too much—you know, just occasional couple of drinks a weekend. And I overheard my client talking, and they were talking about this meditation in the hills. So I stopped them and I intervened, and I was like, "When are you going? And maybe I can come along, because I was really searching at the time. And because all these things started to surface up, I needed to find new ways to deal with it. Because mm. gym really wasn't doing it for me, alcohol wasn't there anymore, weed mm. was long gone." And they're like, yeah, of course, come along. So, we went together and it was a meditation group up in um, Soyuz Valley. And the lady who ran the group was a clairvoyant. Oh. And I've never met a clairvoyant in my life. I didn't know what the word stand for. So, me and my friend ran late, which wasn't a great look because they already started meditation. And we're quietly coming in. She knew that we were coming, but she'd never met us before. Never had a chat with us. And so we did this flight meditation and a little bit of childhood and all these different things. And at the end, she gave us a bit of a feedback, ran us through our experience and explained what it might have meant. And usually she would give a bit, little bit of extra in terms of what's going on through your life. And maybe give you a bit of an advice where to look and what to do. And then she just zoned in on my friend. And started talking in the same ways that her and I were talking in the car after the meditation. And we we're just freaking out looking at each other. It's like, what is happening? And the next minute, she's focusing on me and started telling all about my problems. Like she didn't know anything about me. What was she saying? she That was the period when I was lost with university. And I was considering whether I should continue or not.
0: Mm. So you've gone from personal training into nutrition.
1: Yeah. Yeah, nutrition was supposed to supplement my personal training and obsession with food at the time.
0: Mm.
1: And pretty much why I'm going to university and how I'm trying to appeal to my parents and um, making something out of myself so they can feel proud of me. And she started talking about that and I freaked out, started crying, just broke down because no one knew, only my friend knew. And that that really freaked me out because I didn't expect all this vulnerable side of me to come out in front of this group of 10 people. So I just, I lost it. And, and she uncovered something. But, but luckily enough, she also gave me tools. Because up until that point, I wasn't very spiritual. I, I have been meditating when I was young. I started reading Osho books when I was 16 and doing his meditations. But it was all very surfacey. Mm-hmm. And she, she asked me, she's like, what is stopping you? And, and why won't you look further into this? <clears throat> and I told her that as a child, I had this massive fear. And one of the biggest fears I had, it was of darkness and, and ghosts, cruel spirits, poltergeists, things like that.
0: Yes. Was there much talk of that sort of thing?
1: There was a fair bit. When uh, you were young. Yeah. Because we had abandoned buildings and children would play there, but I would never go with them. Oh. I have, I had a major, major fear with that. So she gave me a simple tool, just channeling white light. And I was like, is that it? Is that simple as that? She's like, yeah, just try it. If you don't like it, come back and I'll give you something else. So I did that. And for the whole week, every night, i would be channeling white light. What and just,
0: does channeling white light mean?
1: Well, divine spirit or high energy is often depicted or believed as white light and their pure consciousness and just pure clarity. So... We imagine the white light above us and then as we breathe in, pulling the white light in, through top of the crown chakra into the body hmm. all the way down and just feeling the warmth and protection of it. And that increases our own personal energy and our own personal protection. So I started doing that every night and all of a sudden I felt like a lot of my fear has started to, has started to lift off. Right. And that, that made a huge difference in my life because I all of a sudden allowed myself to open to a spiritual world. And I was very happy with that because that was what opened me that there is something more than I, other than this physical body, mm. these physical obsessions that I had, trying to appeal to my parents. All these different things were very surface-based through physical appearance. Mm. And that changed by... Finding out that there is something more—that energetic feeling—the mm. energetic beings are. Is that us.
0: what spiritual means to you?
1: Absolutely, yes. I uh, to me, spiritual means that the soul within us. What is that soul? Where does it belong to? How is my soul different to yours, or how is it? Di- or how is it the same? Um, and what is what is the divine power? Um, you know, higher power. Is there such thing, or I'll be part of it? That's pretty much mm. what spirituality is to me. Mm.
0: <laughs> and then where did you go with that then?
1: So she, she didn't directly tell me anything, but it was almost as if she allowed me to do anything I wanted from that point. And I decided to change my course. I meant to do the college and study naturopathy. And that, I
0: suppose this weight of your parents had just been lifted.
1: Yeah. How did that feel? Oh, amazing! It's like tank you know when you wear a weighted vest or farmer's carries, if that makes any sense, and yeah. you all of a sudden drop the weight, and you're like, oh, this feels so good. Exactly that. Yes. It was it was brilliant.
0: Mm. So what did you do with this new lightness?
1: Well, then I went to Estonia to mm-hmm. see my parents, and that was the amazing experience I told you before. That I saw that through the new new eyes, yeah. new experience. And when I quite came back, I pretty much returned to work as a personal trainer, worked for about three weeks, and then started to get a bit sick. You know, the post-Holiday blues that we normally get, sniffly nose, and just a crackle in your throat? I thought that's all that was. And that didn't go away. And then fever came on. And it lasted for about five days, and I went to see a GP. And I said, this is not... Fine. I've been taking the cold and flu tablets, and I was dehydrated to the point where my tongue and my lips were so swollen I couldn't actually drink water. Right. Yeah, and I couldn't. I wasn't able to eat either for that same reason. So I wasn't really functioning. I was losing a little bit of my um, clear state and clear mind. Wasn't able to think for myself too much. And the doctor did some blood tests, and he's like, "Oh, I think you're fine. Just keep taking cold and flu tablets." I wasn't too happy with that but didn't have much else to do at the time so i came back home and three days later still no blood tests so i called him up and i asked how are my blood tests he's like oh they're fine no problems so i was like well it's been seven days i'm still sick this is not okay something's wrong oh no no it'll be fine just just sit it out okay same day Skyping my mum, being a nurse. She's medically very, very smart. So first thing, she's like, you have to go to emergency right now. I was like, really? She's like, yes. No hesitation. You just have to go. You can't. You can't stay home. But I couldn't drive for myself at the time. That's how tired I was. There was nothing left of me. In terms of energy or the vital force, started to leave me slowly. And very lucky, um, my best friend, the same girl I went to meditation with, She drove me to the hospital six o'clock at night, stayed with me until 12. They didn't want to admit me. Finally, they, they, they kept saying the same thing. It's just flu and she can't take pain. And, you know, we get this all the time. And for people who might know me, they know I have pretty strong pain tolerance. I don't complain much. And I couldn't take that. So they, and she was saying that for me because at that stage, I was in and out of consciousness and I couldn't speak for myself. I don't remember any of this. This is just the story she told me after. Mm. So I don't know how accurate it is. (laughs) It's a perception of hers. And they decided to order some blood tests, the urine sample. And all of a sudden there was a panic in the room. And she's like, all these doctors and nurses, they're just panicking. And what came back was my inflammation marker was 300. My normal range is 30. So it was 100, the normal range. And they decided maybe we should take her in. So I got admitted. In total, it was five days in the hospital. They didn't know what was wrong with me. They did all these different tests and questioned me. But I was in and out of consciousness. So I couldn't even answer them the questions properly. By day two, they stopped giving me Panadol. Still fever about 40 degrees. Can't even take tablets to so lower it down. Because they found I had... Uh, My liver was inflamed and global bladder was inflamed. And by day three or four, they found out that I had typhoid salmonella.
0: Typhoid salmonella? Yeah. Wow.
1: The funny thing is...
0: How did you pick that
1: up? I guess it was just probably from traveling and going through India. I had to change airplanes there, the food in the airport possibly. Mm. Who knows? Never know. Mm. But the funny thing is, the doctor said... Anyone who has type of salmonella just takes antibiotics at home and it goes away within a few days, maximum a week. It's fine. I was at the point where I was so dehydrated. Um, my potassium levels, I was on a drip for like the whole four days there. Mm. And he was just like, very bizarre case. Why am I so sick with this? Mm. So doctors actually had no clue. And all these specialists in my room. And they're like, we might have to cut your gallbladder out. And really scaring me. (laughs) And I had a big fear of hospitals at the time as well. So that was fun. (laughs) And once I got released. Well, once I got back to consciousness. Probably just a day before. The same day when I got released. I'd say a day before. It felt as if I finally came back. Wherever I went, whatever that meant, when I came back, the colors that I saw, the sounds that I heard, the temperature that I felt on my skin, everything was heightened. Mm. The life that I was living in that moment was different from anything else I've experienced in the past. And I, to this day, still refer to this as my spiritual awakening because something dramatically changed when I left for that week and a half, wherever I went.
0: Mm. What do you think it was about?
1: I, I think we all have these experiences to a degree and everyone has their own time. Now, it's a matter of whether we choose to notice them or not because if we keep suppressing and repressing and putting things down and just dousing with alcohol and drugs... And obsessive behavior Mm -hmm. is going to stay down trying to knock on the door to get out. And the more we suppress and repress what's underneath, the harder it's going to have to knock to be heard on the door. So one day we open the door. We have an opportunity to hear that knock without the repression. We have an opportunity to do that in full health with good experience and have a lot of fun along the way. Hmm. I chose to do it the hard way.
0: Why did you do it the hard way?
1: <laughs> I, I'm asking these
0: questions now with the benefit of hindsight.
1: Yeah. I think I just a stubborn personality. Hmm. Yeah. I like things my way.
0: Hmm. <laughs> so from there, where did you go? Uh,
1: this course came along only two months afterwards and it was neuro linguistic programming course
0: NLP yeah.
1: yeah and that changed they they gave me tools so my life was already changed but yeah. i didn't know what to do with all of that what
0: tools did it give you
1: i was taught how to first of all help myself to deal with all of those unresolved emotional issues that we already mentioned from the past yeah the guilt the anger the fear from childhood of spirits all of that. So the tools that I was taught to deal with that. And the other most brilliant tool that I was given was to use my brain and my memory to a full capacity. Mm. Which I'm still learning. I'm still not using, you know, we're using such a small part of it. But I was given the starting point that there is a lot better ways of using what we have. Yes. And being at uni and, and coaching other people, that was quite amazing Hmm. To be able to utilize the brain function.
0: Was coaching other people something? Did you get to the point of thinking, I want to give something back based on all of this?
1: So personal training to a sense was already giving back yep. because I was helping other people to change their health through physical appearance mm. and losing weight. So, you know, easing off the pressure on the heart and other mm. organs when I learned about coaching with NLP, I understood that there's a lot more, of course, than our physical body to the health mm. and how our mind sabotages our own well-being.
0: Well, You'd lived it, hadn't you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> but now I knew how to deal with it. Yes. And it was just not a question. I was like, if I know this, I need to get this out to everyone. Everyone will benefit from this. So I put myself on a mission. How can I help these people? to come to their own awakening without going as deep as I went, without having the major health drama mm. and doing it the healthy way, the joyful way.
0: Mm. Unfortunately, though, it strikes me that more often than not, we have to go through the hard route. That the true learning, that the true superpower that you, you have within you You have to go right to the bottom of the well to pull the gold up. And I wonder whether that's part of the human experience that we opt to have here. What would you say?
1: I think uh, from people that I've met, those wells, the depths of the wells, sometimes are deeper than we think. It's like (laughs) a multi-layered well. (laughs) There are many Remember There's
0: gold at different ledges on the way down. That's right. <laughs> we think we've got to the bottom. Yeah. Yes. It's just yeah, it's interesting. I I understand the need to want to save people from the journey, but then there's sometimes the journey itself sometimes is necessary.
1: Absolutely. It's not even needing to save the people from the journey. It's Supporting people through their journey. Yes. The journey will be there regardless.
0: Yes. And if it doesn't show up in one way today, it will find its way to show up again. That's right. Another time. Yeah. So typically, what sort of clients do you work with now?
1: I much prefer to work with women. Cool. And Why is that? Just why women? Because you are one. Because I am one. I understand why. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a lot to relate to. Mm. And I do find that women are more prone to seeking support in on their journey. Mm. Where men a lot of the times believe <coughs> that journey itself might be enough. Say that again. <laughs> Where men sometimes believe that journey on itself is enough. Should right. be right, mate. Kind of thing. Ah, yeah. it'll sort itself
0: out. Yeah. Rather than truly get involved
1: in the yeah. journey. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've experienced in the past. Mm. Mm. Which is not all across, and it's definitely not a stereotype, but it's more in terms of percentages what I've experienced. And I feel that having gone through my own journey, I know how to relate to women who are going through similar journeys. Mm-hmm. Where with men it's slightly different in terms of the part that they take.
0: Hmm. What do you notice about the difference? Obviously being a man now, you've piqued my interest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it depends on a stage that the man is at. But a lot of the times I've seen that men believe that the solutions appear by themselves. Hmm or if the the solutions doesn't appear, there is no need to do anything about it. Hmm. And it's not... Is that
0: true of both Australian and Estonian men? Because you've obviously had experience to both.
1: Estonian men... Very different. (laughs) (laughs) Very different.
0: I just thought it'd be an interesting question because you obviously have deep exposure to two cultures.
1: That's right. Um, I can't say now because... Of course, there's been so much involvement happening Mm. for the last nine years that I wasn't there. And I have, you know, I have friends, male friends from Estonia who've been through spiritual awakening. Mm. Very interesting stories. Mm. But I also have experience from, you know, my first relationship that I was in. And and there was a lot of intergenerational trauma there as well. But I don't think they're that different because a lot of Australian people have come from... Europe and there is a lot of that intergenerational trauma of war and all the other things that have happened. So I think there is a lot more in common if Mm -hmm. you look beneath and we look on, on the genetic level and spiritual level.
0: Um, so you prefer to work with ladies, but of your clients, what do they typically present with?
1: A lot of anxiety. Yes. And a, lo- a lack of self-confidence most commonly. Yes. Frequently, there would be depression, some sort of as well. Yes. But anxiety is the main thing. Main so
0: anxiety point. is a fear of the future. Yeah. And the unknown. And I suppose with a lack of self-confidence, yes, do you have the capabilities and capacities to deal with the future? So how do you help build that in people? through the tools of NLP?
1: Well, first of all, we change our response to emotional stimulus by looking, going through what happened in the past, whether it's childhood or whether there's genetic issues or even past life issues. So we clear the emotional build-up from there Mm. and then create a really strong value system to start living in the now Hmm. because how many people are scared of living in the moment
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: it's this big fear of just being still and silent for a moment but that's where magic happens
0: it is, it's where the space opens and great stuff happens (laughs) so are you finding, I mean you very bravely shared your journey here and it would be very easy for somebody who um, either hasn't had such a journey or somebody who's, whose journey is knocking on the door and what have you, um, and they're suppressing it to go down. It's, do you find that um, it's becoming more commonplace for people to share their journey or do you still see it as being quite bundled up and you have to be sort of selective about where you go and share that
1: I feel I feel my answer will be here very biased because it truly depends who I hang out with Hmm. and because of the circles that I hang out in now I see a lot of the stuff coming up and yes sometimes people do choose to repress it some way but the things keep surfacing up
0: so sorry, you said that the, the circles you choose, to see. so what sort of circles are they?
1: So my study community yes. and a lot of people are there looking after their health and looking to optimize their health rather than just survive <laughs> or yeah. barely function. Yeah. It's quite, you know, high, highly optimized well-being. And yoga community, personal training community to a sense, which is a a world of its own, yeah. Um, but also the, the meditation community and spiritual communities and places. It that Sounds like
0: there's a continuum of communities you've got there.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the big important parts for us to deal with underlying problems, the anxiety, the depression, is to build the tribe. Hmm. And to not only tribe for me, but the tribe that connects all of us together. And this is what I've experienced as a child is I never belonged to one group and I can see the purpose of it now because I I feel as if to drawing all these different groups together and bringing them so everyone can contribute their strengths Mm. rather than keep it separate and feeling it as a market competition, which is not as long as we see the market competition we'll have a division and that really breaks my heart and I know that one day we'll be able to bring more communities together but that really, I like going to different places and seeing different people and slowly bringing that together and running events together because I feel as if that connects us
0: mm. Mm. I like that <laughs> so at the same time as not everyone. Some people are happy sharing their journey, and some people are not. And then this has obviously led you to be focusing on coaching and, and things. Um, at the same time, coaching itself can be quite a, uh, a crowded market. How do you, as a you know, as a professional service provider, how do you go about slicing out your own little piece of the pie?
1: yeah I think you're right about that. It can be quite a crowded market, but I think if we focus on the on the crowdiness mm. rather than demand, we're limiting ourselves. Mm. So it's about the focus where we look and about what is it that makes us different. The point of difference, I mm. guess, is really important, but it doesn't have to be you know being able to do something extraordinary, but more so how we relate. And what we create.
0: Hmm. I like that. Do you typically find clients either come to you through referrals or when you, how do you hook clients in?
1: <laughs> A lot of my clients have done personal training with me in the past. Yeah. And most of my clients have come from referrals from people yeah. who have already done coaching in the past yes. as well.
0: And do you, do you bundle it up with the personal training and the nutrition
1: and things like that? I do currently, yes. Yeah. And I'm trying to, as long as I am still in the fitness industry, I'm trying to change the stigma of fitness industry and it's much harder task than I thought it is. Yeah. So... From I, what to what? Uh, just because at the moment it's very physical look orientated. Yes. And... I'm slowly... So, you know, we, we attract, we project. And I'm slowly starting to feel there's more people coming into my life who are much more interested in terms of how they actually feel. Yes. Rather than how they look. And yes, they might be a little bit interested, you know, to have a bit more turn body. That's fine as well. But that's not their sole interest. Yes. And I'm actually at the point where I feel that I might have to step back one day to be able to provide more and work back. from fitness yeah. and professionally yeah. to work with industry leaders in the fitness to create a community together, but juggling both at the same time can be quite hard sometimes.
0: Yeah. It strikes me as, um, it strikes me as, uh, a common gateway into the awakening, um, That we, I've often wondered whether all of a sudden you, there's an urge to take responsibility and control over something in your life. And there's a lot of things out there that you can't control, but your body is one of those things. And so it can very much be a very good stepping stone. But then, as you said, for some, it can be a stepping stone that just re- com- ends up being a plateau and then you just, all this shit's coming out and then it's manifesting itself in the way that you work out and train. But it, it strikes me as a very um, interesting gateway. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. I um, obviously
0: <laughs> it has been for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I think we do have to start with the physical before we start with the internal. Yes. Because we want to see the results of our incapability of creating the change first. And if we're going straight into internal, it's almost as if trying to jump a canyon. You know, it's it's impossible. Mm. It's possible, but it's impossible to comprehend that it's possible. I'll
0: elaborate on that. Big
1: so, um, if... If we decide that we want to lose 5 kilos. Yes. We know what we need to do. We need to eat better, move more, sleep better, drink less coffee. Quite simple. Yes. Very actionable steps. If we want to think that I'm feeling really anxious and I have been feeling very anxious for the last 5 years and I don't I no longer want to feel anxious. So if we would set a goal to have confidence, let's go. Currently my confidence might be 3 out of 10 and I want to have 10 out of 10. Right. I need to train. I need to lose five kilos. I need to eat better to change my carb, microbiome. My carb I need to improve relationships with my parents. I need to improve relationships with my partner. I need to have a community. I might have to start practicing gratitude. I might have to do some meditation and mindfulness work. Mm. All of these different things. Can you see how long the list is? Mm. It's really overwhelming. Mm. And people can't comprehend. How am I gonna do all those eight to 10 things all at once just to reduce my anxiety? So it's a step-by-step journey or process.
0: I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, because it can be overwhelming. I mean, I even doing this podcast, having met lots of different people, I'm continually going, that's good, that's good, I should do this, I should do this, I should do this, I should do this. And after a while, I, even I got a be like, crap. <laughs> like, at what point do I work mm. <laughs> in the middle of this? Um, yeah, if I could sit at home all day and do all this stuff, this I'd be... Levitating and
1: what—that's yeah. <laughs> the point, isn't it? One yes. day to levitate.
0: But then, um, yeah. But then I think the better goal is to work out how to levitate on your way to work.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, There
0: you go. So, what what have you learnt about yourself in this in this journey?
1: Oh, <laughs> I have learnt most importantly you learnt about Julia. I have learned that Julia is not just Julia. I have learned that Julia is also Bryn. I'm also my cat. I also am my plants.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: I feel that the egos that we carry create the little masks or the archetypes Mm. that we project and that we live. And only when we start peeling one ego off at the time and pulling off the masks and stepping off the stage of the theater can truly to start understand what is going on within hmm. and I don't think I could explain to you who Julia is in any more better meaningful way than I'm just a ball of energy that's expressing itself to help others on a journey the rest of it is just stories that we create
0: and what's your little purpose here then.
1: This is something that came to me only recently and I don't know whether I'm correct or not. But I feel th- I can't be correct, is it, right? Is there such a thing as correct yeah. or not
0: correct? With yeah. your purpose? But if you're I'm, not, you'll find out.
1: Exactly. He <laughs> will slap me across the face one day. Yeah. It feels as all human beings are going towards enlightenment. Mm. And my personal journey is the same. And my professional journey is to help other beings to get there too. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is just chunking it down and making it approachable through action steps and goals. By reducing depression and anxiety in the world we mm.
0: Turning it into small actionable steps that you can do each day. That's right. Consistently and routinely. Hmm. Hmm. And what does the next three to five years look like for you?
1: Exciting. <laughs> Much more ocean, hopefully. Yes. Because I do find I'm a little bit too detached, especially with university. But also I do have a plan and I am hoping to open up a place for people to come hoping in. Hoping or going to? Going to open <laughs> up a place. <laughs> it's a very early stage. Yes. plan still, um, Hoping in terms of whether it's going to happen in five years. Hmm.
0: And what would happen in that place?
1: A place for people to come to do yoga meditation together, but also to have a community for talking about spiritual and meaningful to- topics, having a lot of guests to come and talk together, and having a space for cultivating optimal health for people to heal, for people to belong, hmm. for people to find themselves.
0: On a much deeper level.
1: That's right. Awesome.
0: What, um, what do you do, I imagine you probably have a bit of a daily practice, what do you do to keep yourself nice and grounded and also start the day with an amount of power?
1: Most of the days when I don't have a 5.30 a.m. start, I would, on the waking up, always a glass of water, that's yep. my rule. And I would do yoga practice, whether it's short or long really depends on my day. But always finish off with meditation, generally go for 20 minutes. Have a beautiful warm shower, finish off with cold water, have a nice breakfast and the rest depends on the day.
0: Yes. At least you started it your way. Yes. And what's Julia grateful
1: for? I'm grateful for this existential experience most of all and the rest fits underneath it. I have a night practice every night when I go to bed I Mm. rattle off ten things I'm grateful for for that day every single night.
0: Excellent and one of the questions I always ask my guests at the end is um, if you could take a little nugget of information and just load it into the collective consciousness so everybody just gets it not for debate anymore, what would that be?
1: Trust your intuition. Mm. If you're not sure what to do next, ask yourself and start noticing how your body reacts. Do you lean in? Maybe that's your yes or you lean out, maybe that's a no. Does your chest expand for a yes or does it contract for a no? Is there a se- sense of warmth rising for a yes or a sense of cold going down for a no? Just getting to know yourself and trusting that intuition.
0: Mm. There's a lot of biofeedback.
1: Yes, majorly.
0: You so very eloquently described there.
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: There we go. So I just want to thank you for taking time to share your journey. Um, I find at the moment that obviously with what I do, I meet people who've been through their own journeys and they, they look and feel very different. But there's there's almost like a little process that goes on underneath. But I believe that we need to capture and share more and more of them. Um, so that many other people who are in a struggle place, like where you were putting all this pressure on yourself, sedating yourself, and this and that and the other. So people can actually go, Wow, it's not just me. There are others.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of us going through similar things of dealing with the past and dealing with underlying issues. And the most important thing is to speak up, to Mm. notice how many people are going through that Mm. and changing the stigma of talking about mental health or not feeling right. And taking those signs of emotional feeling surfacing as a catalyst for healing journey rather than something that needs to be suppressed.
0: Hmm. Because we all we all have stuff. It doesn't matter totally it doesn't matter how great someone's life might look like from the outside, whether you're tricked into social media. Or whether you just, uh, you know, interact with somebody from a periodic basis. and go, oh, they've got it sorted, they've got it sorted. Everyone's got shit. Everyone's got shit. Everyone's picked up stuff from the childhood. Everyone got f- fucked up to some degree in their childhood. <laughs> and so everybody had a great parts of their childhood. And it plays out and it's all part of this great learning experience. Absolutely. That we have here.
1: It's very playful if you, if you make it that way, isn't it? It's- it is.
0: It its It is, but it takes a little while to get to the realisation that it's playful.
1: Not to take it so seriously.
0: Yes, but it feels goddamn serious at times when you're in the middle of it.
1: Keeping up the hope. Indeed. So if
0: somebody wants to come and find you, Julia, where can they find you?
1: The easiest way is probably Facebook. Mm. You can type in Reveal Coaching and that will come up with my picture in the business page or otherwise um website as well revealcoaching.com.au and going through contacts there to send out a message if you like
0: i look um i look forward to hearing more about your journey and seeing you back on the podcast in the future we we'll hear about you know to sort of open up a space and so on
1: thank you so much brian
0: yeah it's been a real privilege to hear your journey
1: yeah and same for me as well thank you very much for having me thank
0: you